Chapter 9 That night, Gong crowded with the other apprentices and many of the citadel folk in the servants' gallery, a high balcony situated at the back of the great banquet hall, close under the dome, overlooking the pre-nuptial feasting. Such a hubbub and a clatter there was up there, rising from the floor way below. Gom moved forward with his fellows and leaned over the railing. The banquet tables formed long lines down the hall, with one high table running crosswise at the head. He scanned the assembly as around him, his fellows did the same, pointing out where their masters were seated. No trouble picking yours out, dear. Regia appeared beside him, pointing. See, at the high table, only six seats from Leochto himself. Gomme saw. Falgen in ceremonial grey robe with purple hood at his back and looking rarely affable, was talking to a bejeweled woman next to him. Balivia, Queen of Quend. Regia was following his gaze. Isn't she handsome? That's her husband, Gulan, the prince consort beside her. Next to them's King Furley and Queen Ryolan of Ringing Valley. All the knobs of arms seem to be here. Kings, queens, lords, ladies, anybody who's anybody. Excepting Galt of Sundor, a scullery boy piped up behind her. Regia looked scornfully over her shoulder. Not excepting... He's a scurvy, cutthroat brigand, no self-respecting body would let across the doorstep. Though, she went on relenting, I dare say he wouldn't have minded an invitation, with all this wealth on display. Seagom, there's my Lord Leotto, right in the middle. Doesn't he look fine? Gom's eyes continued along the table. So much to see, and all at once. The lake lord on a high-backed throne. Lortor, overlord of all the lake lands, listening with long, grave face to Yorov on his right. Yorov, lord of the immortal Yorkinta, and happy bridegroom, although one would never guess it, thought Gom, gazing down on that haughty and disdainful face. But Lauto seemed well enough. A modest man, and fair, 
according to Carrick. At Leochtor's left hand sat a stately dark-skinned woman. Her black hair, piled on top of her head, was crowned with a golden diadem. That's the Lady Nessida, Regia whispered. Our Lady of the Likes. Gong nodded. Lurtor's wife. He looked along the row, seeking out her sister, Yorov's bride, and finding her, exclaimed. Regia laughed. No, you're not seeing double. It is Leona, Nessida's twin. Gom looked from Leona to Nessida and back again. Truly, he'd not tell them apart, save that Nessida was in gold, while her twin sister Leona, the bride, was in silver and white. They are both equally beautiful, Gom murmured, wondering how Leochtor had managed earlier to distinguish between the two and marry Nasida. Next to Liana sat another mage, white-haired as Fulgan was grizzled, dressed in the grey of the hierarchy but in a golden hood. Me Grim Fergerol, the grand archimage himself. To the wizard's other side, sat the Lady Vala. Then Fairwall and Gom ducked back unconsciously, Thrullvar. At one end of the table, Gom noted with interest, was the man he'd rescued the night before, Lord Lugan, Leochtor's second cousin, impressive in blue and gold vice-chamberlain's robes, he looked quite recovered, Gom saw, eating and talking at the double. Just below the high table sat the other wizards. No sign of Tolaisin, but then he'd not be likely to attend such a public and stately occasion. In among the wizards were more dignitaries, both humans and your kinterfolk, all in bright silks and flashing stones, so many of them, Gom noticed uneasily. In the minstrel's gallery directly beneath him, six bards plied harp and lute and tambour, the sounds wafting over the heads of the glittering assembly. Just then, Lord Lugan stood, and taking up a gold-tipped ceremonial mace, he rapped three times for silence. May lords, ladies, high majors, and other honoured guests, he began. Beside Gom, one of the scullery boys groaned. Oh no, they're going to make sp- He broke off under the head valet's stare. But the boy was right. For upward of two hours, folk stood, one after another, first expressing their good wishes 
for the happiness of the bridal pair, then extolling the virtues of each and their respective families, of the rare alliance that was to be forged on the morrow between mortal and immortal, human and Yulkinta, and proclaiming the great future that lay ahead for both races. After the first hour, Gon began to think wistfully of his friends down in the stables, chatting together, freely taking their ease. He was just wondering when it would ever end when Lord Lugan stood, wrapped his mace as before, and called out Mikrim Thurgerall. Gom leaned down. His interest rekindled. The grand archimage rose, went to stand before the bridal pair, and addressed the assembly. My lords, ladies, and other honoured guests. The old man's voice was quite loud and strong. Never before has Alm seen such a union as this. To mark it, the hierarchy has been pleased to assist in an exchange of gifts between Pen Langoth and Eilith Kintalin. He beckoned a page bearing a large velvet cushion. As the boy moved forward, light caught it sending out bright flashes of rainbow brilliance. Gom's eyes narrowed. More gemstones, as if there were not enough of them to worry about already. These three gems are invested with spells, worked with the combined power of the hierarchy. On behalf of my lord Leortor, I do present this first one to my lady Leona. The old man reached out, lifted up a bright gold pin that flashed yellow in the light. Till Ambir, heart of the sun, to bring the bride good health, a long life, and a fruitful union. A murmur ran around the assembly, quickly stifled. Lady Liana stood, took the pin, and fixed it on her bodice. Then she turned to her brother-in-law. I thank you, my lord Lertor, she said in a firm, clear voice. And you, Maister Thurgeril, and all your counsel. When she was seated, the old man took up a second stone, 
set in a thick gold ring. For my lord Yorolf, Perif Nin, blue as deep Langoth, to bind the link between tree and water. In full sight of the assembly, Lord Yorolf accepted the ring, slipped it onto the middle finger of his left hand, then held it up for all to see. I thank my new brother and all the people of Penlangoth. May our kinship flourish, he declared loudly. But to Gom's mind, the Okinta looked as haughty and disdainful as ever. Now the Grand Archimage took up the third and last stone, an emerald, which he dangled on its thick gold chain, sending out rays of bright green fire. Yurov's gift. For my lord Leoctor, Herilis, which shall hereinafter be known as the official seal of Penlangoth. May its power keep all the lake peoples forever in peace, harmony, and prosperity. Leoctor took the chain, and handing it to Lady Nasida, let her place it about his neck. Then everyone sat down again amid tumultuous applause, not least of which came from the servants' gallery. But Gon stayed quiet and still, looking down. Three stones, each one of tremendous power and importance. If any one of them should ever fall into Katak's hands. He sighed and straightened up, but still the applause went on. On account of the speeches being over at last, the scullery boy remarked, and as he said it, one of the musicians struck an extra loud chord and began to sing of the coming union. After the first couple of lines, the folk around Gom started to hum and tap their feet with the rhythm of the lay. Come, let us all rejoice and celebration make. Now sing we with one voice as wood doth join with lake. Upon this truth all must agree that wood doth better flourish with deeper root and taller tree when water doth it nourish. So let us all rejoice and celebration make. Now sing we with one voice as wood doth join with lake. Full blessed are they within love's thrall, 
bound by its subtle power. And lucky they who heard its call from forest and from tower. May fortune smile upon this pair, as here they do combine. And may their issue prove full fair, the noblest from each line. Now let us all rejoice and celebration make. Now sing with one glad voice as wood doth join with lake. Full blessed are they within love's thrall. Gom turned away. Cheer up, lad. You're much too young to be so down. It were only fun this morning. And not a bit true, whatever they say, Regia said. Gom nodded unhappily. Were his feelings so obvious? He wiped his face on his sleeve. The air was hot and close up here, and the noise from the guests was rising in waves to echo around and around the hollow dome. Abruptly, he pushed through the throng and ran off down the stairs. I'm glad I was not there, Stormfleet said. All that heat and noise, it makes me thirsty even to hear of it. Why did it go on so long? K.K. said. Speeches, Gom said, one after another. Then the exchange of gifts. More gifts? K.K. cried. Through all the stable gossip, I'd have thought they'd had enough of them. These were special. Leokta and Yorov swapped stones to seal the kinship of their peoples. First, Leokta gave the bride and groom each a stone, which the High Council invested with spells this morning. Cried Keke. I should have liked to see those bags of old bones wagging their beards and waving their arms about. You saw the investment? Gom shook his head. Apprentices were not allowed. Tell us more about the stones, Hebron said. Yorov got a blue one to bind the two peoples. Lady Liana got a yellow one to bring long life and a fruitful union. Fruitful union? Stormfleet snorted. There's been more talk about the mixing of the blood. So many people are scandalized. I agree with them. It isn't natural. K.K. Chipton. Kind should keep the kind. You're off is immortal. Well, Leanna has but a normal human lifespan. They say no eggs will come of the match. What do you think, Gom? I think, Gom said carefully, that if they truly love each other, then they deserve to be happy. And these stones will guarantee it. Nikon Thurgirl promised. And the Octal Stone? 
Heverin asked. An emerald pendant invested with spells to ensure peace and harmony among his peoples. Hmm, the roan said. I'd say they had that already. True, Rom conceded. But the emerald will prove more than that. While the other two stones are personal gifts, this is to be the state symbol, the official seal of all the lake lands from the Lord of the Orkinta, no less. The lake folk will take great pride in it. Maybe, but to us, it means more worry, Stormfleet snorted. It is not good. Not good, Gom echoed. Especially right now. There's too much power gathered in one place. These three gifts, the wizard's runes, not to mention all those uninvested gems the guests were wearing, I hate to think who might be waiting on the shore to slip past the sentries into Scandipar. He looked up. I'll sleep down here tonight. No one will give it any mind. Wise, Hevron said. Our store window commands the gate. And the aisle window, the inner arch. You could get by one hundred sentries, but you'll not get past us unseen. We'll all share what's come. I'll be first, then Stormfleet, then you. Daylight, Kiki said. Tell me, she went on, pointedly changing the subject. What they were at the feast, the cocks and the hens? Your friends are doing well for themselves. They've been hanging around here with a hen on each arm. And you? What have you found? The night passed quietly. On the hour, every hour, a pair of sentries walked the courtyard, swinging their pikes, peering into doorways, pausing for a word with the stable watch. But when Stormfleet nudged Gom awake at three in the morning, the watch was slumped on his stool snoring loudly. That morning, the kitchens were bustling with preparations for the wedding. But just after elevenses, Farewell whisked Gom from the servants' hall up a dusty passage to meet Vala. She waited in a small cubbyhole at a round table lit with a single lamp. She was just as Gom remembered her, dark-eyed and mysterious. As Gom entered, a smile briefly lit her face. Master Gom! She stood up, reached across the table, and took his hands. You've grown! And your shoulders have broadened out. 
He had. They had. Gum straightened up. It was nice of her to say so, even though he couldn't see it. He bowed low. Lady, I owe you much. Not so, she said gravely. Let us say it was for Haga. She is our true friend, even though there are some who forget it. Please, she waved Gom to a chair. They all three sat around the table and talked of Haga, Vala telling of journeys they shared. After a while, their wall stood. I'll be back, he smiled, and went out. So, you are working to become a wizard? Vala eyed Gom steadily across the table. You are troubled, she said at last. Truly, there is much heaviness on your shoulders. And it is not born of your studies, I think. Gom said nothing. She had seen Haga in Gom's vision, had seen the tears on Haga's face, had heard his mother's cry. Oh, if you could only see the devastation! From one of the seven realms, Haga had spoken, but Vala could not know that, and he could not tell her, for he had promised. Vala leaned forward. Master Gom, I do not seek to pry, but know this. I am your friend as I am Hargus. If ever you are in trouble and your mother is not near, then call on me. Just send your little Harrier to Eilith Kentarlin. I will hear. And I will answer you. Thank you, Gom said. Now there was a friend, he thought, his spirits rising. I had not looked to meet you here, she said. And there was her quick smile again. So I have no great gift to give you. Gom looked at her in surprise. None was expected, he said. I must say that I am right glad to see you. Still smiling, Vala reached under the table, brought out a handful of shimmering grey-green stuff. She shook it out and laid it on the tabletop. Never know she said, but that this might come in useful. Wear it with discretion. Gom took up the stuff, 
feeling its lightness, its softness, enjoying the play of lamplight on its folds. A yule-tinter mantle, impervious to wet and wind and cold, and its wearer could pass unnoticed through wild and dangerous places. He knew, for he had worn one. Thank you, lady, he said. It folded up so small, it fitted easily into his jacket pocket. I regret I can give you nothing in return. Not necessary, Vala said. But wait, I have not yet done. She leaned down, brought up something he recognised at once, and set it on the table between them. It was a little copper bowl, that same bowl she had used at Yurov's command to get news of the Sito. Now she took up a ewer and filled the bowl with water. We have not long, she said, but I would give you something, a vision, perhaps, to cheer you. What would you know? Gum stared at the bowl. What would he not know? Where was Haga? How was she? And the starstone meant for him, was it on the way? The mailed warrior, who was he? Why had he appeared when Gom called Haga, and how come that one knew so much? And then there was Katak. Was he still secure beneath Great Kug, and was like to stay so? Gom bit his lip. All these questions he wanted answered, yet he may not ask one, lest their secret be revealed. So, what else could he ask, so that he not wholly waste this precious offer? There is one thing, he said, and felt the heat rising in his face. A woman told me yesterday that I'd never love a mortal maid of alm. Vala nodded. And you believe her? I... I'm afraid. Don't be. Vala turned down the lamp. Your hand's gone. Courage. He let her take them and cup them, and lower them into the bowl. They filled with water. The water began to swirl, then to glow with a golden radiance. Then it disappeared, and in the hollow of his palms a shadow began to form. A soft, dark 
mass. Slowly, it solidified, took shape, and Gom was gazing down at an armored figure, visored head, green plume waving above. Stop! The image vanished, and released, Gom snatched his hands from the bowl. And covered his face. Regia had been right. No maid for him. No nuptial feast. No homely hearth and child. Long as he lived, as clearly as it was meant to be, his only love would ever be a battlefield and war.